All right, shall we, shall we pray? Let's pray together. Lord God, we come before you. We just thank you for this morning. We thank you for um, just gathering us together. Thank you for this Sunday. I believe, Lord, you have a word for, for us to hear. And so, Lord, I pray you would open our hearts, our ears, our minds to your word, to your spirit, Lord God. May you speak. May you teach. May you stir our hearts, Lord. Wherever we're hearing this, listening to whether it's here at church or at home or whatever it may be, Lord God, may your word resonate in our hearts and our minds. And we lift us to you, Lord God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, I don't know if you remember, so we started in Mark back in January. I know it's started in January, we're only in chapter 4. But uh, we started all the way in January. And if you remember, I likened our study of Mark to a journey. That as we look at this journey in Mark, we're looking at Jesus' journey that will ultimately lead to the cross, right? And that along this journey that we go through in Mark, we're going to see, we're going to hear Jesus teach, and he's going to teach like no one ever before, right? We don't appreciate it now, but even in those days that they're hearing Jesus, they were hearing a teaching that they had never heard before. We're going to see these incredible encounters that Jesus has with these people, And we're going to see all these miraculous and supernatural miracles that Jesus is going to do. And this is all going to happen as we go through this journey in Mark. And I encourage all of us way back in January to picture yourself along this journey as we go through Mark. Right? Find yourself in the midst of the stories or or this setting. Where would you fit in? Where would you be? Put yourself in that situation. Now I encourage all of us as we, as we come on Sunday to be active listeners to it. You're not just hearing me speak, but put yourself in that situation. Where would you fall in line? Where would you be? If you remember last week, I challenged you all to pick yourself as trees. Remember that last week? What kind of tree would you be? Like, what would your tree look like in, in, in a big garden? Would you be a full-grown tree? You know, spiritually, you, you, you've, you've come along in your relationship with God that you've, you've grown and you've kind of matured and you're starting to branch out. Do you see some fruit coming out of your tree? Or are you still just like a little plant, little, little, little thing just breaking through the soil? And that's okay if you are, right? But whatever it is, what would you look like? Or I, I, met, I mentioned about, you know, are you like a cup on the windowsill of those science projects? You know, you, we have a little soil in the cup and has... Has your little, I don't know, whatever we planted at that time. I never knew what that was, what we planted. But did you break soil yet? All right, so I challenged you to do that last week. This week, I'm not going to challenge you to be a tree. So you don't have to picture yourself as a tree or a plant or anything like that. I want you to just picture yourself as yourself. All right, you're going to be a person today. But where would you fit along in this story? Where would you belong in this in, in the story that we're going to look, like, look at? What group of people would you fit in? What do you most associate with? Or where would you prefer to be along 
in the story. So we're going to get right into the story. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Again, I encourage you, I haven't done this in a long time, I encourage you to bring your Bibles to church. Bring your Bibles, get to know your Bible. Do you guys get to know your Bible? You know what I mean? All right, this is like totally out of my sermon, this is taking time, but I'm going to do it. Do you get to know your Bible? Like, do you know it so well? Like, visually, you know exactly where something is in your Bible, right? Get to know your Bible. So bring your Bibles to church, so that way it's not just on your phones, and I'm looking at people on their phones, I'm thinking, what are you looking at on, in Sunday service? All right, that has nothing to do with the sermon. Okay, Mark chapter 4, verse 35, that was a big tangent. Verse 35, goes like this. And on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go over to the other side. And leaving the multitude, they took him along with them, just as he was in the boat. And other boats were with him. So here evening comes. Jesus just finishes teaching the multitude and the crowds of people. And he decides to sail across the sea to the other side. And next time we meet together, we're going to we'll look at uh, why and where Jesus goes. But Jesus releases the crowds of people. He lets them leave, and he sails across with, the, with his disciples and with other followers. Other followers sail with him in other boats across the sea, so we're told. Now, it's interesting how the crowd in Mark, the crowd or the multitude of people continues to be a character in this story. If you've noticed as we've gone through Mark, Mark repeatedly points out that there's a crowd of people, a multitude of people. So it continues to be a character in this journey we're looking at in Mark. And the crowds are let go to leave. They're allowed to go back to their homes. Jesus releases them, said, okay, I'm done teaching. You go wherever you want to go. But interestingly, there are other followers who go in other boats. You know, I've read the story many times, and this never, I never thought of this. This never jumped out at me until this time that we see that there are other followers in other boats sailing with Jesus as Jesus is in the boat with the disciples. And I really think that speaks to the wide testimony of Jesus. That it wasn't just these 12 men who experienced Jesus, but there were other people. There were other witnesses, other d- degrees of following Jesus at the time. So there was other witnesses to what, account, what the accounts were, what was happening. So I found that kind of interesting that there was other people but there's this reoccurring theme, and maybe you've caught on, especially the last few weeks in Mark, that those who follow Jesus witness his miraculous work, right? They witness this incredible journey. But those who do not truly desire to follow Jesus, they neither understand him or really experience Jesus like they could. Because Jesus releases the multitude. The multitudes of people are left go, let to go. We see in the past that Jesus preaches to the multitude in parables, but they don't quite understand. They don't seek to really understand Jesus. But those who follow Jesus are taught the meaning of these parables. And here we see there's other followers following Jesus across the sea. So it's interesting to see along this journey these dynamics of groups of people. Those who are just 
around on the periphery to hear Jesus, but not truly seeking to understand. And then there are those who are following Jesus, but they're not fully, they're just kind of getting used to things. And then there are the disciples who are close by. Verse 37. And then there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the, so much that the boat was already filling up. And he himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now, while the Sea of Galilee, right, they're crossing the Sea of Galilee, isn't like the open seas and the oceans, it, it was no stranger to storms and violent storms, right? So the darkness of night only adds to this, this scene, this already intimidating scene. How many have ever been out in the ocean at night? Have you ever been out there at night? You know, you, you stand in the, in, in, on the shore, it looks so calm, but when you're out there, especially at night, it's pretty an awesome scene. You experience how like, violent the waves can be. So at night, picture at night, it's pitch black. And here you have the stormy winds. Now, Mark uses a pattern of threes to emphasize points. He will use three words or phrases for emphasis. So here he emphasizes the violence of the storm. Mark wants us to understand the severity of what's taking place. He uses these three Greek words speaking of a whirlwind, a tempestuous wind, a violent attack. Not only that, but it was a great wind, a great violent wind that's taking place. So he's using these three words to kind of emphasize this was not just some, you know, just the wind blowing. This was a a violent wind that's hitting them. So they were crossing at night and these fierce winds blow and the waves crash and and the water is filling the boat. Now keep in mind, who is with Jesus? The disciples, some of them were professional fishermen, right? You assume that Andrew and Peter, James and John, who were fishermen, they've had experience out into the oceans. You would assume they had experience being out in a boat, especially in a stormy weather. So you would think that they would know what to do in the moment. Right? If you, in that time, if you're going to a violent storm, you would probably want some of those guys in there with you because they were professional fishermen. Yet the strong winds... The crashing waves, the waters filling the boats, leave them fearing for their life. I assume that they're trying to do all they can to save themselves, right? But where is Jesus? Where is Jesus in this scene? I love this. He's chilling. He's asleep on a cushion. Now, Apparently, this is the only mention of Jesus sleeping in the gospel accounts. Like, hmm, I guess so. Never thought of that. I assume Jesus slept, right? We can assume that. He was, he was he's human too. He, he hungered. He, he slept. He had emotions. But I guess when Jesus does decide to sleep, he sleeps well, Right? Maybe some of you are just like Jesus in this sense. When you sleep, you can sleep through anything. Any of you hard sleepers? 
You can sleep through stuff, sleep through snoring, you sleep through whatever's going on. Any of hard sleepers? Oh, you're blessed, right? When, you have, when you're a hard sleeper, there can be a whole bunch of stuff going on and you have no idea. There can be chaos and, and hectic stuff going on and you're just knocked out, right? You know, you just, you're sleeping like a baby. I love that about babies. If you've been blessed with a baby who can sleep through the night and stuff like that, isn't that just a great experience? Right? You can, you can set your baby down and it can be noisy and stuff, and that baby just doesn't know a thing of what's going on. Right? Jesus here is asleep. And the disciples go to wake Jesus up. And I guess, you know, if you have such a peace, you have no fear, and you can control the winds, you know that? You can sleep through anything. You're like, I don't care. I don't, I'm not afraid. Right? So the disciples go. They wake up Jesus. And what do they ask him? They say, teacher, do you not care that we are dying? We are being destroyed. The waves are crashing. Can you not feel the wind? Do you understand what's going on? Matthew's account, it says that they say to him, Lord, we are perishing. We are dying. So they ask Jesus this question, but really this question is really like a statement more than a question, right? This, these questions really kind of uh, allude to two things uh, particularly. First thing, they, their question is, Jesus, they question Jesus' level of concern in the situation, right? When they say, Jesus, do you not care? We're perishing. They're questioning his level of concern. Jesus, you should be showing a little more concern about the situation, right? You need to take this a little bit more seriously, Does it not matter to you? How can you be sleeping in a time like this? Have you ever been in a stressful situation? You're all bothered and worried, and you're telling somebody else about it, or someone's with you, and they're just calm as a cucumber. They're not worried. They don't look distressed. Doesn't that bother you sometimes? Don't you look at them and say, why are you not worried? Why are you not stressed? There's something about stressful moments for us that we feel better when someone else feels stressed with us, right? We like keep telling them until they feel stressed. And now we're like, okay, now someone else is stressed with us. Now someone else is worried with us. So the first question to Jesus, like, Jesus, do you not care? Do you not understand the situation? The second part of their question is they question Jesus' personal concern for them. Jesus, not only do you not care about the condition, situation, but do you not care that we are going to die? Don't you care that we're going to die? Now, this may be the most relatable part of the story for many of us. We may not have been caught in a storm before, but how many of us can relate to that question Asking God, God, don't you care that my life is feeling like a storm? Don't you care about what I'm going through? Don't you care that I feel like I'm going to die? I think we can all relate to situations like that. 
See, the dangerous part about the disciples' question, as common as it is, is it implies that Jesus doesn't care if they die. They say, do something if you care. Right? How many times have we thought that? God, if you care, you should be doing something about it. Right? We tend to equate the, the undesirable circumstances in our life to God not caring. Right? If these bad things are happening to us, it must mean God doesn't care about us. And we're so quick to come to that conclusion. We're so quick to come up with these thoughts and feelings that, man, if God really cared for me, I wouldn't be going through these circumstances. kind of funny how people seem to care most about what God does when they're in danger. When life is uncomfortable, we feel God is not doing enough. But when life is comfortable, so often we're like, God, you can just let us be. I don't need you now. I'll tell you when I need you. You could do something in my life when I need you, but for now, I'm good you can let me be. It's funny how our, our mentality works when we're in troubled times and when life is good. Look what happens, verse 39. And being aroused, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you so timid? How is it that you have no faith? And they became very much afraid and sent to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? See, Jesus rebukes the wind and speaks to the sea. He says, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. Now, we don't appreciate this in English, but again, Mark uses this pattern of emphasis. He uses these three verbs here to speak of what happens when Jesus speaks. See, the first time Mark emphasizes the violence of the storm, right? He uses three terms to describe the violence of the storm that takes place. But here, Mark uses a similar pattern, but he describes the opposite. He uses these three verbs to describe that the winds were silenced. The winds were muzzled. It was kept in check. And the third, it grew weary. Or in other words, it ceased from violence. It ceased raging. I love this. It says Jesus silenced, muzzled, and stopped the raging storm. And what was left? It was a great calm. Mark uses again this pattern to emphasize instead of a violent storm, Jesus brought in a great calmness. I love that contrast. Do you catch the beauty in this? I'm not a real literature kind of guy. I wasn't into poetry analysis or literature analysis in in high school. But I, I grew to appreciate this now, what Mark is doing. Mark describes as a violent storm. Then he says what Jesus did, he silenced it. 
He muzzled it. He ceased the rage. And he brought a mighty, great calm, peace. Jesus turns the great violent wind into great calm. There's a great violent tempestuous storm with winds rocking the boat, water filling the boat. Jesus wakes up. He rebukes it. He silences it. Then Jesus immediately asks the disciples, he asks them, why are you so timid? Why are you afraid? Why is there no faith? Why do you have no faith? Jesus brings two perspectives into this scene, right? From the disciples' perspectives, can any of us blame the disciples for being afraid? If you were on that boat, you felt the violent winds rocking your boat, and you saw the waves crashing on your boat, and the water is filling the boat, would you not be afraid? It seems reasonable, right? It seems reasonable that they'd be afraid. But Jesus brings his perspective. What's the difference? He was in the boat. He was in the boat. So he asked them, why were you afraid? Why was there no faith? I was in the boat with you. Verse 41, And they became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Again, Mark uses this emphasis. They feared with great fear. He uses, again, three Greek words to describe. They feared with great fear. It's interesting. A great storm brought fear. Jesus brought a great calm, and it left the disciples feeling great fear. But this fear was different. They didn't fear for their lives in that sense, but they felt a great fear as an in great awe. What, who was in their midst? Who is this Jesus? Even the winds obey him. Even the sea obey him. Perhaps they thought of this psalm in chapter 107. Psalm 107, verse 23, those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they have seen the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he spoke and raised up a stormy wind, which it lifted up the waves of the sea. They rose up to the heavens. They went down to the depths. Their soul melted away in their misery. Verse 28, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distresses. He caused the storm to be still, so that the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they were quiet, so he guided them to their desired haven. See, what Mark is doing, he's making a very profound message and statement. Mark declares to the readers, and we see throughout Scripture, God is the one who's in control of creation, right? He spoke creation into being. He parted the seas. And what Mark's saying here, and this is the biggest application, the main application we can take from this passage, is that Jesus was more than just a man. 
Jesus was not just a teacher or a prophet or a miracle worker. He had the divine authority as the eternal Son of God. He had the divine authority that only was given to the Lord, to Yahweh, to the Holy Scriptures. He makes us this point very clear. The same Jesus who was with the disciples in the storm is the same Jesus we're to place our trust in. The God of creation, Jesus has that divine authority. That's who he is, the Son of eternal Son of God. He had that power. He had that authority. And he says that same God is the same God we are to place our trust in. Now, many of us may never be caught in a storm, a violent storm. But again, I mentioned, many of us understand what it's like to have our life feel like a great storm. Maybe some of you feel like you're still caught up in that storm. You're feeling all, sort, all sides around your life crashing your life. You don't know how much longer you can take. And I mentioned before, when we started, which group of people would you closely identify with in this story? Which group of people would you rather be in in this story, in this situation? I mentioned three groups of people, right? The first group was the multitudes of people, the crowds in the story. The crowds in the story, remember, they were released from Jesus. They said, you know what, you can go. You're, you're free to go. And they left. They avoided this life-threatening sto- this situation. They didn't experience this life-threatening story, right? Perhaps you would identify with them. You would say, you know what, I'd rather have been with the multitudes. They didn't have to go through this. Their life was not in jeopardy. I would rather be in that situation. Perhaps you're, you would identify with the other followers that you were following with Jesus. You experienced the same things, but you weren't in the boat with Jesus. But you probably experienced all the storms and stuff like that. But you were kind of left wondering, right? I think about those followers who were in the other boats. What were they thinking? They were kind of like, we're going to die. I don't know if they made it across, whether they went back. We have no idea what happened to them. We just know Jesus wasn't in their, their particular boat. But then there's the third group of those disciples who were with Jesus. Jesus was there in their boat, and they had the, 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 the blessing to be able to go to Jesus and say, Hey, Jesus, aren't you going to do something about it? Now, I don't know what group you would choose. Because there are some people who would say, I would have rather been with the multitudes. I would have rather have avoided all this danger and hardship and stuff like that. You know, I don't want to deal with any of those things. There are many people, they look at the, 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 the consequences or the effects of being a Christian and following Christ, and say, you know what, that makes my life a little bit too inconvenient. I'd rather not go through that. There are some people who like to follow Jesus, but a distance. Now, this might be over-spiritualizing the story a bit, but I can't help but picture this scenario and relate it to today And that there are many people who follow Jesus at a distance, and they're really not connected. They're kind of just content with doing whatever they can in their own life. I would have rather have been with the disciples in the boat with Jesus. I would have rather been there with Jesus in that boat, regardless of what was happening in the storm. Because with the storm comes what? The miracle. 
With the storm comes a miracle. Jesus is the peace in the storm. And some may look at this passage and they may come to this interpretation and some may claim, pray that Jesus rebukes the storms in your life. Right? I think that would be easy to kind of take away. I'm sure many, many people would take that interpretation that, well, you know, if you have a storm in your life, pray that Jesus rebukes the storm in your life, quiets those things, takes those things away. That may be. There's nothing wrong with that. You could pray that God quiets the storm in your life. I think that's okay. But I was thinking about it. If the disciples never woke Jesus up in this story, they still would have survived. (laughs) I thought about this. If the disciples never woke Jesus up, they weren't going to die. Jesus was there with them. And it made me kind of think about this. I think a lot of times we approach our stormy situations and we think the solution is for God to quiet all the storms in our life. To make it all better. And we pray for it. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think it's something that I've experienced in my life that I realize sometimes, you know what? God just rides through that storm with us. Sometimes he rides that storm with us. There are times we can pray that situations change for the better. And sometimes doesn't always change. I'm sure you've experienced that. And that's when we kind of start to question, say, God, why? I'm praying for this. Why isn't things getting better? Because I think sometimes we need to be experience, we need to experience that peace that helps us ride through those storms. Because either way, Jesus is by our side And he's the calm in that storm. I think we resemble those disciples in times like this. I think we share the same struggle. And I think Jesus can say the same things in our life. Whatever storms that you may go through right now. You're afraid. You doubt. And I think those words that Jesus asked the disciples echo in my ears. Why are you so afraid? Why are you timid? Why no faith? Whatever God is, whatever you're experiencing right now, is God saying something along those lines to you? Why are you afraid? You might have very good reasons to be afraid. The disciples had good reasons to be afraid, right? But when Jesus asked them that, it really speaks to the heart of why we fear. And take time, whatever circumstances you're in, really think about, why am I afraid? Am I afraid because I have no control? Am I afraid because I may not like the, 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 the results, the end results? Am I afraid because I think my life is going to end? I'm not going to have my health? Why do I have no faith? God may be asking us the same thing. Why do you have no faith? Do you think I don't care for you? Do you think I've forgotten you? Do you think I don't think or know 
what you're going through, what you're feeling. See, I want to come to the place. I wish I was like, if I was in that boat, I wish I could be in that place where if I was the disciples, I would have been next, door, next to Jesus sleeping. That would have been nice. That'd be a nice place to be at. Where I'm not fearful. I don't lack faith in the stormy season. And you know what? I can just rest in that peace. I'll be like hanging out with Jesus. Like, scoot over Jesus. Let me have some of that pillow. I wish I was at that place. And this is a daily thing that we can, we, we can strive to be at to say, you know, God, in situations like this, I do not want to be afraid nor lack faith. And I want you to be the calm in my storm. Jesus was the difference in that result, right? In that situation. The reason why he asked them, why do you fear? Why you have no faith? It's because he was there with them. See, in your stormy seasons, you want Jesus to be in your boat, so to speak. You don't want Jesus to be in someone else's boat. I don't want to look at someone else's life and see Jesus in their life and look at them and say, man, I wish Jesus was in my life like that. I want to be able to say, Jesus is in my life like that. Does that make sense? We don't want to be like the multitudes who checks out on Jesus. Ah, it's too dangerous to be a Christian. I'd rather not be a Christian. We don't want to be that. We want to know that Jesus is there with us. He is our calm and our peace. Whether the storms rage or whether they're still. That's where we want to be at. I don't know what circumstances you may find yourself in. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying we can't pray that God would quiet the raging storms in our life, because he does, and he can. But my faith and my calm will not be dependent on those things. It'll be because, you know what, God, you are with me. And I'm gonna, you're going to sail with me through whether the storm continues or it quiets down. That's my prayer. That's my hope where my faith will be at. So I don't know what God may be speaking to you about, what storms you may be facing. But I hope you can hear God asking you, why are you afraid? What do you truly fear? And what troubles your faith? Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord God, Lord, we often look at the seas, the the winds, or things in our life that come crashing in, There's been a lot of things to fear these days, Lord God, these last few years alone. We fear a virus, we fear sickness, we fear death, we fear violence. Even in our relationships, feel stormy, unpredictable. 
And Lord, I know there are many here who've been praying for quiet, for a silent storm, or the storms to be silenced in their life. And for whatever reason, they remain stormy, violent, and windy. And I don't know why, but Lord, I pray that we would have such faith in you that no matter the circumstances, we would not fear and we would not doubt because you are with us in the midst. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.